So the title of the message today is called The Regathering. And regathering of the people of God is a fascinating subject throughout the Bible. You might think, and I might think, that because of coronavirus, for the first time in our lifetimes, we haven't been able to come to church. I became a Christian 40 years ago, and I don't know that I ever missed church. I never took a break from the Lord or from church. And yet the last almost four months, while I've been speaking uh, and tuning in every week and twice a week, I've never not come to church. But, you know, when we look at the history of both the Jews and Christians, Old and New Testament, we can see different things happened. The people of God couldn't meet together. But you know what? They always came back. There was always a regathering. And every time there was a regathering of the people of God, something powerful happened. And everything in my soul is praying and believing and, and, and thinking towards what's going to happen. So I want to prepare your souls and, and my own soul for our regathering next week. And if you can't come in next week because you have an underlying health issue or you've got a whole load of small children, my heart goes out to you guys. Please don't switch off. I don't worship a God who only keeps the blessing in one part. In my experience, God's blessing goes beyond boundaries. Amen. So if you can't come in, God will bless you anyway. Um, but I hope as many as can come in will come in. I'm going to be looking today at Ezra chapter 3, and I'm going to look at the first seven verses or so today. And then, as Michael said, next week, the culmination, the big bang of this message is going to happen. But I feel God wants to speak to us today about it as well. This is the Old Testament. There are two books in the Old Testament that deal with the return of the people of God to the land of Israel. So uh, the context of this is that God's people were forced away from the temple in Jerusalem. They were forced away from gathering together the way they used to be. A bit like you and I with the coronavirus lockdown. And they went to Iraq, uh, Babylon in Iraq, and for a whole lifetime, 70 years actually, they couldn't come to Jerusalem. The law did not allow them to. The whole nation had been exiled. And then the government, or the emperor, made a decision. No, you can come back. No, those who want to can come back to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem and the area around it. And so Ezra and also another guy, Nehemiah, led waves of people who began to come back to the promised land and back to where the temple once stood. And Jerusalem is symbolic of the Christian church. The temple is symbolic of you and me. We are the living temple today. We are the living stones that make up the temple. Every born again believer is a living stone in the temple. So this is the context. The exiles are returning and we're going to look at what happened and what began to happen as they began to regather. And here today as we're less, what are we, six days to go before we start regathering. Let's see what God word says to us here and may his word feed our souls in jesus name amen so ezra 3 after the israelites settled in the towns they then gathered in jerusalem as one community 
They then, despite their fear of danger from hostile peoples nearby, they built the altar to sacrifice unto the Lord. Jeshua and Zerubbabel led the offerings unto the Lord of all the sacrifices for the Feast of Tabernacles, even though the foundations of the temple were not yet laid. All those who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem gave donations and also got involved in the rebuilding work of the house of God. Hallelujah. So here we have a couple of verses from a book in the Old Testament. Many of you would have read it. Maybe many of you, it's new to you. And can I say, there's a lot of guys uh, who are watching in here in Cork. We've never met face to face. Uh, can think of a few. Jamie Wise, I think you're watching in. Saoirse Aragon and a few others. We've never met face to face. You've been joining us regularly. By the grace of God, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys face to face. But here we see this book in the Old Testament that you may or may not know. And this is powerful because it's like as if it was today, or should I say next Sunday. The people of God are regathering in. We're told in verse 1, uh, in the first part of it, that when the Israelites had settled in their towns, the first thing they did was they made sure they just had the basics organized. So they had settled in towns in Judea, Samaria, even up towards Galilee, but Jerusalem, of course, was the center. So they got their own houses, if you will, just basically in order so they could eat and sleep and have some bit of shelter from the elements. But the huge, important issue for them was they could go back into the ruins of the temple. And the temple, which would have been known as Solomon's temple, or David's temple as well, but Solomon built it, had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So the temple was gone. And all that was there were ruins. Some people are saying, will some churches survive the four-month lockdown? I don't know. And I'm sure some of our beloved brothers and sisters around Cork and different fellowships and churches around Ireland, around the world, will really struggle. Um, and we'll struggle to some degree as well. But I don't think we're in ruins. They had a much bigger issue to face. But they all went into the city of Jerusalem and were told in the second part of verse 1, they gathered as one community. The King James Version puts it as they gathered as one man. In other words, there was a unity of purpose. I can just picture next Sunday the emotion you and you and you and you will feel and I'll feel and my, the emotion and the sense of excitement as we gather together and for the first time, even though we can't have the numbers we're used to, we'll be able to worship God with other people outside our own family. So there was a unity of purpose. They weren't fighting against each other. They weren't going, I think you should do it this way and you should do it that way. No. They came together and to the best of their ability, they came together with one purpose, to worship God in Jerusalem. Here is a vital message, and this is what I really want to share on today. Despite their fear of the danger from hostile peoples around them. Get this. There was a lot of people who were not Jews. 
They were not Israelites. And they were living all around Jerusalem. And they had been settled there by previous Babylonian emperors. And they resented these Israelites, these Jews, from coming back in. And they actually wanted to kill them. They wanted to destroy them. And remember at this stage, Nehemiah had not started rebuilding the walls. So they were wide open. Think of it for next Sunday. The walls were not built. They were surrounded by loads of danger. They could have been attacked at any minute. But they did not have enemy phobia. They had faith that God would look after them. And so they came and they gathered despite the danger. I'm all for being wise and I'm all for people with medical conditions. Please don't misinterpret me in this. I, I get it, guys. But there are also some of us, there's nothing wrong with us. And I just wonder sometimes, has fear and paranoia taken over? There's an old saying in Cork, paranoia will destroy you. Don't be paranoid. Be wise, but don't be paranoid. These people could easily have said, Oh, I can't go up to Jerusalem. Oh, no, there's Arabs over there. And they'll get me with their arrows. Stay home, stay home. No. These were people of faith. These were people of faith. Now, there was a statistic last week about coronavirus in Ireland that outside of a couple of small clusters, you had a one in a million chance of picking it up. I don't know science. I'm not a doctor. But... Their danger was far greater than one in a million. Their danger was a whole hostile people hated them and all around them. But even though that was happening, they still went and they came and they gathered. We're going to pray against irrational fear. We'll use it. He really will. And look at this. They built the altar to sacrifice unto the Lord. Verse 2. Here's where this is really strange. I hope you're watching in. Denise and I have built a number of houses over, our, over the years when we, when we moved to different places. And you know one of the last things, when you build a house, you build the foundations first, and then you build the walls, and then you put on the roof, and then you put on the doors and windows, and then you do first fix and all the rest of it. Probably the last thing you'll ever do before your house is ready, is you put in your kitchen. You'll choose your kitchen units. I'm going for white, I'm going for black. I'm going to have a bit of granite worked up there, whatever. But here, they don't... Number one, they didn't build the walls of Jerusalem yet. But not only that, they hadn't even built the temple yet. And yet, they build the altar to sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, we know that there was a tiny handful of really poor Jews who had been left behind. They hadn't gone into exile, and they would have had a very makeshift thing. It was like a faint echo of worship still maintained in Jerusalem. But it was on that, and it was the very spot that the original altar was, that they built the altar to worship unto the Lord. So the first thing they do is that. Now, can you imagine if you're building a house here in Ireland and you get a site on the edge of the city and you go, I'm putting in my kitchen unit first. And you put in a beautiful kitchen unit, but you've no foundations, no walls, no roof, no windows, no doors. It sounds crazy. 
But you see, here we're looking at something spiritual. Remember, we live in an upside-down kingdom. We don't operate according to just natural things. There's something supernatural going on. So they come and they build this so they can sacrifice unto the Lord. And we're told that Jeshua and Zerubbabel led the sacrifices unto the Lord. There were two guys who were mainly leading this whole movement at the time. Jeshua is a variant of Joshua, which is where we get the term or the word Jesus, Yeshua. So he, if you will, is a type of, like the other Joshua, just a variant of it. And then Zerubbabel, he was the guy who was the main leader behind rebuilding the temple. And both of these guys led the sacrifices unto the Lord. Remember they'd have sacrificed wheat and other offerings, and turtle doves, and lambs, and so on. But this guy, Zerubbabel, um, he was so involved that this temple became known as Zerubbabel's temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple. And this is the temple that our Savior, the one we love, the one we follow, this was the very building that Jesus would have walked around. He was dedicated as a baby. At the age of 12, he discussed with the learned rabbis there. As an adult man, he performed many acts and works there, from overturning the tables to healing people and so on. The very stones that this man, Zerubbabel, led in the building, led towards the Messiah, operating in this temple. It's powerful. It really is powerful. So don't just switch off. This is so today. And remember, as I said, the temple foundations were not yet laid and they put all this work into the, into the altar. I can imagine people there going, Zerubbabel, are you off your head or what? There's no walls in the city. There's no walls in the temple and there's an altar and all them, whatever they were, Arabs, Arameans, whatever. They can all, the Phoenicians, they could attack us. You're crazy. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. They put the worship of God before everything else. Hallelujah. The altar first before the temple. Altar before temple. When we gather next Sunday, don't you know there'll be something? You should step forward that way and back. There'll be some little thing we'll have overlooked. Michael will be doing the corona dance. He'll be around like this doing the shuffle. Think of these guys. Get your basics right. Get the most important things right. Amen. It's the same in your life, watching on. Whether you can come in or not next week. Is there an altar operating in your life? There should be. Mm. Put the altar first. All the other things, yeah, they're necessary. But first put the altar. Amen. I love what the, I think he's a great Bible commentator from many years ago, Alexander McLaren, speaking on this verse, he said, There cannot be a temple without an altar, but there may be an altar without a temple. God meets man at the place of sacrifice. Mm. And he goes on to say, whether there be a temple or not. Mm. See, you can build a great temple, and if there's no altar, it's like a body without a soul. Mm. It's dead. You can have a beautiful cathedral. Years ago, and I don't speak ill of anyone, but there was a load of money went into building, building a building called, I think it was called the Crystal Cathedral, 
But, but, but you're looking at it and you go, Did I, were any of these people regenerate? Maybe they were, I don't know. But you can have beautiful buildings with millions of euros or dollars or whatever you're having yourself to build it. And if there's no genuine connection with the living God, no worship, no word of God transforming and renewing our minds. You know what? It's like a temple without an altar. Mm. It's like a sham marriage. Mm. Sometimes people who are not from the European Union marry someone from the European Union so they can get the right to live within Europe and within Ireland. But very often, not very often, but sometimes it's a sham marriage. There's no real relationship there. They pay someone to marry them so they can get this. And that's what it's like if your Christianity doesn't have an altar. That's what it's like if in the church we have a beautiful building, but there's nothing deeply spiritual going on. Put the altar down first. So brothers and sisters, you might come in here next week and you might go, I think that two meters is actually 1.9 meters. I'm going to have a word with Michael there. Do you know what? <laughs> Put the altar in. What are you laughing at? Put the altar in and the temple will follow. Praise God. Praise God. So what about your altar today? What about our altar? What is the altar anyway? I mean, is this some kind of vague concept? If you read Romans, Paul in Romans 12, drawing from the Jewish heritage and the Jewish tradition and experience of altars and temples and Jewish worship, he then takes this analogy and speaking to the Christians in the city of Rome says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices because this is your spiritual act of worship. That's verse 1. So our lifestyles should be like a, an act of worship and then our worship will flow from that. So part of the altar is our worship of God, our adoration of him. I'm so looking forward next Sunday to seeing a reduced worship band. We have to, but they're going to sing songs and I can join in, whether it's physically or just in my soul. Just join in and worship the altar in your life has to allow for worship. That same verse then goes on to the next verse and it talks about God's word and it says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 verse 2. What does that mean? You see, when we read the Bible, it washes our mind. Your mind, my mind, is filled all week with messages from government, from media, from Instagram or Facebook or newspapers or whatever you're connected with. That's why we need to constantly come back to God's word, the Bible, read it, listen to it, and allow it to wash our minds because God's word renews our minds. Only the word of God will renew your mind and renew my mind. So the altar that, we're getting, that I'm getting all excited about there has both your worship and adoration, but it also has the word of God renewing your mind. And then John the Beloved, for example, says in Revelation 5, 8, they were holding bowls of incense, full of incense, and these are the prayers of the believers. And again, he was talking and using the analogy of the Old Testament altar. So our prayers and intercessions are uh, our altar experience. You know, we can do all of this anywhere. You can worship God and adore him at home. You can have your mind renewed by reading the Bible at home. You can do your prayers at home. But there is something powerful and has always been part of the rhythm of the believer's life, Old and New Testament. 
where we do it in a corporate setting, where we do it as the gathered community. People who say, I don't need a gathered community, I don't need a church, are seriously wrong. Mm. The gathered community mm. is exactly that. Amen. It's a gathering of the people of God. And it can't just be digital only. It has to also be physical. It's interesting, there was a big survey done in Ireland last week. Matter Day Institute did it. And even though they were looking at um, people of faith in Ireland, and that was kind of a fuzzy thing, but the ages were quite correct. And over 1,500 people were interviewed, and they found that only 1% of people in Ireland said that after the lockdown and all restrictions were gone, 1% said they would rather have a digital experience of church. One out of a hundred. And even if you allow for some of them, maybe are a bit older than maybe our kind of churches, it's a tiny percentage to have only digital or primarily digital. Imagine that, 1%. Anyway. The altar has to be part of the ecclesia, the called out ones. That's the Greek term for the gathered community. So let me just re-emphasize it. You see, your doctrine and your theology, if you believe what the scripture says from a Christian point of view, you'd say, you know what, Michael O'Donovan's theology is bang on he believes in the virgin birth and the Amen. triune god and, and and being born again and all this so you'd say he has an orthodoxy in his theology it's what he believes it's bang on orthodoxy let me give you another word maybe you have heard of it maybe you haven't orthopraxy and this is where your practicing mirrors your believing so how you walk is reflected in what you talk and what you believe. So um, it's one thing saying, I really believe that, let, let me give an everyday example. I really believe it's very important that you should have so many steps and walk a little every day to have good health. I really believe that. But then you never actually do anything and you just sit on the couch watching telly or watching Facebook or whatever all day long. And you never actually walk. Your orthodoxy is good, but your orthopraxy is rubbish. It's the same with faith. That's why James says in James 2.7, if action doesn't follow faith, then it's dead. Or to put it in the old King James way, faith without works is dead. So your practice, my practice, your orthopraxy, my orthopraxy, should mirror our orthodoxy. We should walk the talk. We should live what we believe. And I know that most Christians know that we're called to be part of a Christian church as soon as it's safe to do so. I get that. But let's make sure we don't miss that one, brothers and sisters, because it is vital that you and I walk the talk and do what we're called to do. Let me look at the last verse I'm going to look at today. It says, all those who returned from the exile, got involved in supporting the rebuilding work. Many gave financial donations. Most of them rolled up their sleeves and helped. I know not everyone is able to do it, but these people had a cause. These people had a vision. They weren't just 
which is what we find in the book of Judges, where it says every man just did what was right in his own eyes. Hyper-individualism. It's the curse of this generation. They weren't like that. They were moving forward as an army, as the people of God, trying to see the world change, trying to see the city of Jerusalem built up, but primarily the altar, the temple, and then the people of God. This is the calling they had on their lives, and they were moving forward to do that. So, you know, my prayer today is that that will be us from next week on, from today on. Um, let me just share Psalm 91, and I'm not going to put up a slide, but verse 3 says, Surely your God will save you from the pestilence. Amen. It says in verse 6, You will not fear the deadly pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Yes, we must be careful. Don't jump down my throat. But there's a whole area where fear and maybe a bit of laziness can take over when really we're called to have faith. These people had a whole hostile nation ready to kill them. And you can read on and you can see what they tried to do, both with Ezra and Nehemiah. But they stayed faithful. And you know what? Nothing of what they feared came to pass. Um, throughout the week gone by, and this is unusual for me, every time I went to pray or sat down to read scripture, and actually also on Thursday night I dreamt this, there's a thing called wild swimming. It's getting quite popular. People are moving beyond swimming pools, swimming in rivers and, and oceans, the way we used to. But I saw people swimming and they were getting caught in reeds in the river and seaweed in the ocean and their swim was stopped. And I know the Holy Spirit put this in my heart to prophesy it. It's from Proverbs 12:25. Anxiety in the heart of a man or a woman will weigh them down. God wants me to pray for some of you who have been caught in the reeds and the weeds and it's anxiety. It's stopping you from moving forward. It's like what we looked at today. They didn't allow fear from the danger around to stop them. One other prophetic word, and that is, I saw a man plastering a wall. I saw Josie Heffernan looking in. Josie, I know you're a plasterer. This isn't for you. It's just a guy who was plastering a wall, but behind the wall was a big, huge gap, and he kept trying to plaster over the wall, and the Lord was saying, stop. You're trying to block up a door that God is opening in your life. And I think fear is what's going on. I don't know, is it a relationship? Is it study? Is it career? Is it ministry? I don't know. But I do know this. That beautiful verse in the book of Revelations where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This actually was written to believers. And I know that in this instance, that verse is for a believer. You're trying to block something up, pretending it's not there. And the root of it is fear. And God is saying, I'm knocking here. It will be biblical. It will totally, won't have any opposition. It will fit in with what God is doing. But don't let your fear, your paranoia stop you. So I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to pray for all of us that not one of us would be paranoid or too fearful for God to move in our lives, in this hugely important week 
for the Christian Church in Ireland and for our community. And that for those who need to stay away, you will stay away. But those who don't need to stay away will not let the enemy destroy the faith God has for you. I'm going to continue the next part of this, which really is the culmination next Sunday live. Or you can tune in at half eleven digitally. But I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I pray for everyone who is afraid today. Afraid of the danger around. Afraid of what if, of maybe. I pray against that old lie from Satan himself. That there's a lion on the street. Don't go out. I pray against those who are blocking the door you want to open. I pray for everyone who is caught in the reeds and the weeds. Anxiety weighing down your heart. And instead of a time of joy and yes, careful moving forward, Satan is robbing you of the joy you should have at this time. And so I pray my prayers like a weapon. And I fight and I wrestle against that which is not flesh and blood, spiritual principalities and powers, trying to destroy the faith in men and women here in Cork, here in Ireland, all over the world. And we pray deliverance. And I pray faith, just like these early believers in the time of Ezra had. And that we would all roll up our sleeves and build an altar again for the ecclesia, of Grace Christian Church here in Cork this coming week. May God deliver you and give you great faith. May the Lord give you faces like lions as we go forward into next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.